What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. Happy Sunday and welcome back to yet another episode of J Talks hosted by yours truly, Jalen Tully. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys because that's what we do here. I'm going to be talking about some really angering stuff this week. I feel like I say that every week, but maybe if people stop being so shitty, then I wouldn't have to jump on my podcast every week and talk about how shitty people are. There was a George Floyd Valentine's card that was distributed and passed around by the LAPD. We need to talk about that for very obvious reasons. Hell literally froze over when Texas was hit with a freak snowstorm, and guess what the senator of that state did? He definitely didn't fly to Cancun for a much-needed vacation. Oh, wait, that is exactly what he did, and then he proceeded to blame it on his own two daughters. And if we have time, which we definitely will not, because as we learned last week and every other week before, I have no ability to control myself and how long I talk for. But if we do have time at the end of this episode, I just want to give a little bit of insight into no-knock warrants. I want to talk about no-knock warrants. This is something that I have wanted to talk about for the last three weeks, but I just have not had time in my episodes. So with that being said, if we don't end up getting to it today, this is definitely going to be something that I will get to eventually. I wanted to just tell you guys so you knew that it was coming, so you knew this was something that I actually genuinely want to talk about, but there's just so much other stuff every single week that needs to be addressed that I just never honestly have the time. So yeah, we will see where this episode takes us. We'll see how angry I end up getting and how long I end up talking for to see if that's something we can get to. This next subject, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to try and blow through as fast as possible. I honestly just don't want to sit here and keep talking about it. It's going to make me upset. It's probably going to make you upset. It pisses me off even just to think about it. I cannot imagine how angry and upset I'm going to get once I actually start talking about it. And even though this is a subject that I know I should probably focus more time and attention on, I just, I'm going to say what needs to be said and then I'm going to move on because I don't want to waste my time getting upset and getting emotional over something that I really shouldn't even have to talk about because this should this should be a non-issue. But I'm going to talk about the George Floyd Valentine's Day card that was passed and circulated through the Los Angeles Police Department on Valentine's Day or over Valentine's Day weekend. The <laughs> the LAPD is currently investigating itself, which doesn't sound corrupt at all, but they are currently investigating themselves over a George Floyd Valentine's Day card being passed through its department. And I'm not going to make the claims that police officers, that LAPD officers made the Valentine's Day card. I have no clue who made it. I have no clue how they found it. They could have made it, but more likely than not, some troll probably just made it on the internet and they found it. But there was a George Floyd Valentine's Day card that had a picture of George Floyd with Derek Chauvin kneeling on his neck, him currently having the life snuffed out of him with a caption of you take my breath away unforgivable that is if that if i had to choose one word to describe this if i had to choose one word to not only describe the card itself but the circulation of the card unforgivable this is not even bigotry at this point this is not racism this is not prejudice and this is not hatred this is a complete and utter lack of respect for a human life 
This is a complete lack of compassion that these officers possess. If they are able to not only laugh at this on their free time, but also send this to other officers. Absolutely disgusting, absolutely unforgivable. I don't understand how people can find this funny. And personally for me, if like once you guys get to know me, one of my like beliefs is like we don't owe the death we don't owe the dead anything. I get so annoyed when people are like, you can't disrespect the dead. Yeah, you can, they're dead. Who cares? But this goes beyond that. This isn't just this is not just about you having opinions on the type of person you thought George Floyd was. This isn't just about you making claims about a person who passed away. This is you making a mockery of a man who was murdered in broad daylight by police, by your fellow officers, by people who put on the same uniform you do every single morning. He was murdered by them. And you are making a mockery of that openly, publicly, and proudly. How? How do you reform this? How do you reform that? These people are adults. These people dress themselves in police uniforms every single morning and go to work for the people of Los Angeles, yet they don't even respect basic human life. How do you reform this? How do you instill basic human empathy into a grown human being who should know better at this point? How do you make this person grow? How do you make them better? How do you make this system better as a whole? Because this isn't something that can be fixed with some mandatory discrimination training. This isn't something that can be rectified with some intensive tolerance and bias training. This is deep-seated evil. It's evil. It's evil that they feel okay to circulate something like this and laugh at something like this and use an event like this, something that catalyzed so many important events over the last summer. And again, you're making a mockery of it. And I've already said all of this. I, I said it in my first episode, when we were talking about the Breonna Taylor statue being vandalized, and I said it a few episodes ago when I was talking about the video footage of Rochester PD spraying the handcuffed nine-year-old. How do you fix this system? How do you fix a system that's this broken? I don't even want people like this living on my earth. I don't even want to take the liberty of calling these people my fellow human beings. Nonetheless, I sure as shit don't want them putting on police uniforms every single morning, shoving loaded guns into their holsters, and then going to work where they have the possibility of endangering lives every single day. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? How do we rectify this? I'm, I'm genuinely asking because I know what I would do. I know what I want to do. And people have the audacity to call me radical for it. People say that my slogans are too incendiary. You can't say defund the police. You can't say abolish the police. What else can we do at this point? Because it's so clear, at least to me, that this system is beyond repair. This system is so broken. The fact that police officers can circulate a Valentine's Day card like this, and then we entrust the LAPD itself to investigate these officers. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Nothing is going to come from this. If anything, the worst thing that could possibly happen to these officers is they'll be forced to switch precincts. But they'll still be officers. They'll still have jobs. They'll still be able to work in a force and work in a job where they're loaded with weapons and loaded with combat gear and have the ability to go out into the world and inflict harm on whoever they want within the city of LA. I just, I, at this point, I genuinely, I mean, I've, I've felt this way forever, but at this point, I genuinely don't understand where we go from here. And I don't understand where Republicans or where people who don't think we should defund or abolish the police, I don't understand where they think we should go from here. Because I know if it was up to them, nothing would change.
But it's very clear at this point that something has to, because it's unacceptable that things like this are happening. It's unacceptable that officers even have the audacity or even feel comfortable doing things like this. We cannot accept this and we cannot move past this. And that's probably the worst part is that I know we will. I know in a couple of months, once everyone forgets about this, they'll probably just sweep it under the rug and no one will hear another thing about it. And that is the worst part. I already said I don't want to spend too much time on this, so I'm going to wrap this segment up. I've said pretty much all that needs to be said. Um, and not, not only that, but I've said all of this before. I've said all of this before probably hundreds of times in my life. But there is just one more thing I want to say. Regardless of whatever you think of George Floyd, regardless of whatever you think of the Minneapolis officers who murdered him, I want you to think about Gianna. I want you to think about his daughter. I want you to think about the fact that his little girl, this child, never is going to be able to see her father again. She's going to have to suffer through every single birthday, every single holiday, every single Christmas, every single New Year's, every single Thanksgiving dinner without her father there. She's going to have to graduate high school, have her first boyfriend, go to prom without her father there. She's going to get accepted into college, go to college, graduate college, have her move-in day without her father there. She's going to meet the love of her life, get engaged, have to walk down the aisle herself because her father will not be able to do that for her. Her father will never be able to meet his grandchildren. Her father will never be able to see her grow up and become a woman. She has lost her father for the rest of her life because of one officer's ignorance, indifference, hatred, bigotry. I don't even know what to call it anymore. This little girl will have to grow up her entire life without a dad. And I want, I want, if you're going to try and make excuses for the officers in Minneapolis, if you're going to try and make excuses for the officers in LA, one, this is probably not the podcast for you because I feel very comfortable calling you a bad person if you're going to think like that. But more importantly, I need you to think about Gianna. I need you to think about this little girl who is never going to see her father again because of a system that we as Americans feel comfortable protecting, even though at this point it's blatantly obvious that we should not do that anymore. I am really sorry for that being so upsetting. I'm really sorry for those of you who, you know, have a heart and can empathize like me because you probably feel like shit right now. But honestly, at this point, I don't know what we can say to each other or how we can feel in order to pick ourselves up and have the determination and ambition to make this country and our policing systems better for everyone within it. Uh, the floor is completely open for people who have ideas because uh, at this point, like I said, I'm, I'm lost at this point. I don't know what else to do and I'm trying to do the best I can with my podcast and with my platform and everything that I'm trying to say and the message that I'm trying to get out there. But the fact of the matter is that I'm one person, you're just one person. And unless we can get our government, unless we can get our elected officials on board with making this country safer, in terms of our policing strategies and in terms of our policing system, I, I unfortunately don't ever see this changing. <sighs> so disheartening. So goddamn disheartening. Okay. Well, okay. We're done with that. We are we are moving on because I, I honestly can't deal with this heaviness weighing on my heart anymore. I, I have to move on to another segment of this week's episode. So next, I want to talk about the freak snowstorm that happened in Texas this past week. Um, I want to talk about the storm itself and how I felt in the beginning. And I want—I do want to give some of you guys' advice, not just in Texas, but anyone who is 
not used to winter weather because as I have said a couple episodes ago that I'm from the Northeast, I live in New Hampshire, we get snowstorms probably at least once a week, um, any, ranging anywhere from a dusting to a couple feet. Um, I lose power at least a half dozen times a year, so I think I have a pretty knowledgeable repertoire of information that I would be able to give to you guys that would help you should something like this happen again. So I do want to do that. And then I also want to talk about how this happened, why all of this happened, why Texans especially should care about all of this. And then finally, I want to wrap up this segment talking about Ted Cruz and how when his state was freezing, when his citizens were in distress and dying and not having power and literally freezing to death, he decided to take a nice trip to Cancun and then proceeded to blame it on his daughters. So first things first, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I want this podcast to be based on honesty. I want this podcast to be based on how I actually think and how I actually feel. When I first saw people start to complain about the snowstorm in Texas and share their experiences about the snowstorm in Texas, I was so frustrated and I was so angry because I was like, uh, does, does Texas think they're the only people in the entire country who get snow or who have had freakish snowstorms? Like I said at the beginning of the segment, I probably lose my power a half dozen times a year and it can stay off anywhere from a half a day to the longest I went without power was nine days. Nine goddamn days. Yes, you heard that right. I did not take a shower for five days and this was about three or four years ago. So I still had to go to school, still had to find ways to do my homework and everything. So like with that being in my head, I was, I was extremely frustrated because I was like, what? This is like a non-issue. Like you haven't had power for two days and you've got four inches of snow. This is ridiculous. But then I, uh, I took a lesson out of my own book and I sat down and took some time to educate myself and think logically. And I started to realize a lot that really put the whole situation into perspective. And I was just reading more of people's stories on social media, on Twitter. And it, again, it just really put everything into perspective. So the first thing I kind of, that kind of clicked for me was the fact that in the Northeast, in areas where there is much more substantial winter weather on a much more regularized basis, our houses in the Northeast are built and insulated to keep heat in and to trap heat and keep heat within our homes. Meanwhile, a lot of the homes down South and out West, they are insulated and they're built to actually let heat out because a lot of those areas deal with much more sweltering temperatures and much hotter temperatures. And that is an issue for them, just like, you know, crazy snowstorms and crazy cold weather is an issue for us up North. So that was the first thing. And it's like, oh, okay. So not only are their houses not built for cold weather, but they're actually built for hot weather, which means that they're not keeping any warmth in their houses. And this led to a lot of people's pipes bursting because their houses are not insulated for cold weather. This led to a lot of people having other extensive damage done to their homes because again, their houses are not built for this. I saw stories of people going out for walks, going out for drives and seeing homeless people frozen to the sidewalks. I saw a lot of stories of people actually dying within their homes because they were so cold within their homes. Um, a lot of people had no means to cook food. A lot of people still do not have access to clean water. Overall, once I took the time to actually sit down and get outside of my like New Englander head who deals with this all the time, I was able to see how truly detrimental and how truly devastating this was for the people of Texas. And that just goes to show, if you just sit down and think a little bit logically, you too can have empathy. 
And this leads me to the fact that I do want to give you guys some tips. I do want to help people, not like I said, not just in Texas, but everywhere as climate change progresses, as global warming gets worse. We will probably see weather patterns like this escalate. We will probably see more weather patterns of extreme colds and extreme hot weathers affecting areas that they don't normally affect. So whether you are a citizen of Texas or any other southern state, you will probably find use in these tips in the coming years, in the coming decades, as we continue to disregard the harm that we're doing to our planets. So with that being said, like I said, I just want to give you guys some tips. First tip, have a warm room. You should just have one room in your house that's dedicated to being kept warm. And how you do this is first you have to cover your windows. So saran wrap, any type of plastic wrap, completely cover the windows. Glass and windows is where you lose the most heat in your house. So if you can cover those, then you are much more likely to retain heat within your home. So cover those with plastic wrap, tape those down nice and tight. Even just even feel free to do two or three layers just to try and keep yourself safe if you are super cold, if this is a space that you really, really need. I also recommend putting blankets then over the plastic wrap, either tacking them in or taping them down, because that will also help kind of insulate the room and keep the room warm. Restrict the amount of times that you're opening the door of this room, restrict the amount of, amount of times that you're going in and out of this room to try and keep the heat in. Also, I recommend if your door is not sealed at the bottom, you try and tuck an old t-shirt or a blanket underneath the door to try and again, keep that room more insulated. Try and find methods of natural heating or methods of heating that don't require electricity to try and keep not just that room warm, but keep yourselves warm in general. An, a great idea is like a terracotta heater. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but pretty much it's like this little clay lantern thing. And most of them just take the little tea light candles, little tiny circular candles in like those tin containers, and they throw off a ton of heat. The way the flame and the clay interact, they end up throwing off a ton of heat. And, they, and a lot of them are like dirt cheap. You can find them for like 15, 20 bucks online, or even, you know, at just a local store. You might not be able to find them in Texas, so I would recommend trying to find them online. But such a great investment. Like I said, all you need is like a tea light candle, and they throw off a ton of heat. I would also recommend getting like bigger, more heavy duty candles. Um, like you, if you can find like the candles with a wooden wick, those will also throw off much more heat. And that will also help you if you're using candles to help cook or heat water. And another thing, if this is feasible for you, if this is within your financial means, I personally would recommend getting a gas stove, especially if the rest of your house is powered on gas. Because even if you don't have power, you can still use the stovetop burners. You can you just have to turn them on and then use a lighter to light them. But you can still cook. You can still use your stovetop. You can use it as a method of heat. So if, like I said, if that's within your financial means, I definitely know that that's not an option for a lot of people. But should it be, that would definitely be an investment that I would recommend. Also, just some things that I would recommend keeping around the house to make it easier should something like this happen again, definitely a snow shovel because that's something you can keep for your entire life. You know, God forbid you have to, this happens again, you have to shovel your driveway or shovel a path. You will have no idea how helpful that will be and how much that'll come in handy. Another thing I also recommend just getting and keeping and storing because you can keep it for a lifetime is road salt. Um, for people who maybe have mobility issues or disabilities, especially people who are on the older side, Icy sidewalks, slick sidewalks are an extreme danger to those people. So even just taking some rose salt and sprinkling that, that will help 
melt some of that ice and create a better traction for people with those types of issues. And like I said, you can keep it forever. So definitely those two things are things that I would definitely recommend investing in. Another thing I saw people complaining about and talking about a lot on social media was the driving conditions and how dangerous they were and how not used to those driving conditions people in Texas were. I mean, even up here, we have snow covering our roads from the months of December to mid-April. And even people up here seem to not know how to drive in snow. So I'm not holding that against Texas because like I said, we're just as bad with it up here. And I also know that up here, especially the need for an all wheel or four wheel drive car is like something that most people just automatically think of and something that a lot of people just see as a necessity when buying cars. But for people who have flatter roads, for people who have more temperate climates and don't get these weather patterns, that's probably not something you're thinking of. So a lot of people down there probably have two wheel drive, whether it's front or rear. But if that is the case, and if this is something that's financially within your means, again, I would recommend getting better tires, getting all season tires, or even switching to winter tires around this time of the year when you think that there's a chance that something like this could happen again and you could be hit with a crazy snowstorm or just crazy weather patterns in general. Also, this, this seems like a no-brainer to me, but again, we have people up here who deal with snow for six months every single year and they still don't know how to drive. But you cannot drive the same in snow or on ice the way that you do when it's a bright sunny day in the middle of August. Something my mom always taught me when I started driving, aka when I started to get into accidents during the winter, she told me that if you drive slow enough, you can drive through anything. And I wholeheartedly agree with that now that I've been driving for over two years now, now that I've been driving in snow for over two years now, I truly do realize that I haven't gotten into an accident in the snow in since last year, two years ago, I'm not sure, because I took that message to heart and I truly came to realize that, oh my God, my mother knows everything. But I think that's such an important point to make, especially people who have never driven in snow before, never even seen snow before. You cannot drive 50 or 60 miles an hour like you would in a regular day. Give yourself time to get to work, to go out and leave the house early and then drive 20 or 30 miles an hour or even slower, depending on how bad your roads are, how bad the conditions are. I know it's tedious. I know it's an inconvenience. I completely understand that, but you'd rather get somewhere super duper late and safe than not get somewhere at all. Something else that like my stupid brain also didn't realize when I was first going through these comments and being frustrated with how people were talking about the snowstorm in Texas was I, for some reason, I didn't, it didn't make the connection in my head that like, oh wait, people from Texas don't need to have alternative heating sources because, oh wait, they don't get snow for six months of the year. So meanwhile, while us in the Northeast have pellet stoves and wood stoves and coal stoves and we're able to melt snow to make water and heat up water and still have a viable heat source in our homes, a lot of people from Texas did not have that because the little heating that they do need in the year is all electric because there's no reason for them to spend, you know, a couple thousand dollars on a brand new wood stove if they're only going to use it three times a year. So I would definitely recommend finding a non-electric heat source that you can invest in, finding a heat source that could hold a charge, or utilizing other methods like, like I said, the candles, the terracotta heaters. And I didn't say this before, but you can also build your own terracotta heaters if you just have like those pretty basic clay um, plant pots. You can actually make your own heaters out of that. And I will also leave links in the description for all of this stuff. I'll leave a link for 
some terracotta heaters in the description. I'll leave links for on how to make your own terracotta heaters. I'll leave links for other things that could help during this time or in general or things that I think you should stock up on when should something like this happen again. Another thing that seems like a no-brainer, but a lot of people who don't deal with this don't necessarily think like this, but definitely stock up on non-perishables and stock up on things that you would be able to eat without a stove or an oven or something that doesn't require preparation. So like soups, like canned soups are a great food item to have in the house because a lot of the times you don't even have to heat them up. They're good forever. Any other canned items, canned fruit, canned vegetables, canned beans, anything canned because it's very easy to heat up, it's very easy to cook, and you don't even need to cook it and it stays good for literally ever. That is honestly all I can think of at the moment in terms of stuff that I think would help people who are not used to dealing with these weather conditions better cope with these weather conditions. And if I think of more things throughout the week, if I find more stuff on social media that I think would be helpful to you guys, um, I'll make sure to jot it down and I'll bring it up in the coming weeks. Like I said, should I think of anything? But as of right now, I think that's just some basic information. I think that's just some basic tips that I think would really help a lot of people, especially at a time like this or should something like this happen again. Now I want to get into more of how this happened, why this happened, why so many people lost power, and why people who didn't lose power are currently dealing with sky-high electricity bills in the five figures I saw. I've seen so many things of people paying anywhere from thousands of dollars to for their electric bills to up to $17,000 for their electric bills if they kept their power on through all of this. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. People are either dying because they don't have access to power or people are going bankrupt because they had access to power and the electric companies just bumped up the prices. And this happened because Texas is the only state in our country that is not a part of the national electric grid. Why is that, you ask? Oh, because Texas actually deregulated all of its electricity companies and all of its gas and coal-powered plants so that those companies could have the potential of monopolizing the market and making more money, especially when stuff like this happens. Evil, corrupt, abhorrent, I should not need to say that, but I think that this opens up a very large debate about what all of this means and about how we should move forward in this, because currently Republicans are like shooting themselves in the foot trying to make this a Green New Deal type of argument and trying to say that green energy is the reason that all of this failed, even though that's complete and utter BS. Ted Cruz and other Texas officials coming out and saying that this is all because the wind turbine fails, as if areas of Alaska and Antarctica don't depend on wind turbines for electricity, and those wind turbines never fail, so I don't know what logic they're using there. Like I said, I think this opens up a very important conversation about not only how we're getting our electricity, how dependent it is, but also the fact that this even happened in the first place. The fact that Texas was even allowed to not be on the national grid. The fact that Texas was even allowed to deregulate their electricity companies for profit. That's what it was. It was for profit. Like I said, I think this has to open up a larger conversation. I think this has to kind of open up the floor for a debate about who we're entrusting with our livelihoods and who we're entrusting with something that at this point in history is as basic of a necessity as electricity and clean water and power is. 
I think that it's bad enough that we have aspects of our healthcare system, that we have aspects of our justice system that are based around monetary and financial gain for privatized companies. But when it comes to something as basic as electricity, I think that's absolutely unforgivable and abhorrent. I, I said it just now, electricity is a necessity. Electricity is a basic necessity at this point. And don't get me wrong, I think that healthcare and criminal justice is just as basic of a necessity, but when it comes to attitudes in this country, other people don't really see them that way. But when it comes to electricity, I think that despite our bipartisan divides, despite our bipartisan beliefs, I think everyone can rally around the fact that we should believe that electricity is something that people in this country need access to at all times or as often as they can. Especially when you take into the fact everything that Texas depends on in terms of electricity. I said it before, Texas gets their heat from their electricity. They don't have the wood pellet or coal stoves that we have in the north or the midwest or somewhere that is more used to these extremely harsh winter conditions. And I think if we are looking to overcome this, I think if we're looking to truly change the way that not just Texas's energy is run and utilized, but if we're also looking to change the way that the entirety of our country's energy is utilized and how we harvest it and how we distribute it to people, I think we need to really ask the question of who is gaining from this? Because <laughs> it's sure as shit not the civilians, it's sure as hell not the people of Texas who have frozen to death, who still don't have access to clean water, who were struggling for almost a full week without electricity. It's sure as hell not them. They're not benefiting from this. So who is benefiting from this? It's not the people who have $16,000 electricity bills to pay now. It's sure as hell not those people. So who is gaining from this? Oh, it's the privatized companies that are able to monopolize a deregulated system within Texas and are now making millions of more dollars than they did before any of this happened. And I think that's disgusting. I think it's disgusting that a cornerstone of American culture and a cornerstone of American of our American economy is based on the struggle and the oppression and the death of our own citizens. There are too many aspects of our society that garner success based off of those things. And that's not that's not how a functional society should be. That's not how a developed nation should run. Next, I want to talk about the spineless and sad-looking Teletubby known as Ted Cruz, who, when his state was in a state of turmoil, when his state was in a state of emergency, once his heat went off, he decided that the best course of action for him to take was not to stay home and help the people of his home state, was not to stay home and raise money and fundraise and make sure that the people of Texas had access to clean water and food and electricity. His best course of action was to book some plane tickets to Mexico. <laughs> and then once people found out and once people called him out on it and once people decided that, hey, this, the what the hell are you doing, Ted Cruz? He then decided to blame it on his daughters. And he then decided to take it upon himself to blame his daughters for the fact that they apparently wanted to go on vacation at to Cancun because they were cold and they were struggling. He just wanted his little girls to be happy. And I don't know who he's fooling with that because it's sure as hell not me. But if you believe that, go right ahead. Then once he got enough backlash, he then decided to come home and start to distribute food and water to people. 
And I love how through all of this corruption, through all of this backtracking, through all of this lying that Ted Cruz was doing, people like AOC and Beto O'Rourke were on the front lines of Texas raising money and fundraising for the people of Texas through this incredibly tumultuous time for those citizens. At the time I'm recording this, AOC has raised over $5 million for the people of Texas, which is absolutely insane and incredible. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz is reminiscing about the resort hotel that he didn't even get to make it to. And the cherry on top of all of this, the little umbrella in the margarita glass that Ted Cruz wishes he was drinking right now, is the fact that Republicans have the audacity to say that Democrats are only doing this to make themselves look bad. And the funniest part about all of this is that Democrats don't have to make anything to make Republicans look bad. Did AOC book that flight for you, Ted Cruz? Did AOC force those lies out of your mouth about your own daughters? Like, you looked terrible on your own. And you sure don't need to blame anyone else for that. Because you did this to yourself. You left the people of Texas literally to freeze to death while you booked a resort vacation for yourself. And you think AOC is the one making you look bad. You think Beto is the one making you look bad. Texans, if we don't rally <laughs> around each other at this time, and if we don't see that Ted Cruz is the most incompetent sad sack to ever serve as a congressional member and vote him out in the next election, I will be irate. This isn't even a debate about Texas turning blue. This isn't even like a Democrat-Republican thing. This is the fact that when his state was struggling, this is a fact that when millions of people were suffering without power in a state that is not equipped to handle the type of winter weather that, was, that they were dealt with, he, his best course of action was to desert you. His best course of action was to leave you to suffer with a mess that he did not want to clean up, that he did not want to be left with. This is what he does with his political power. This is what he does with the power to be able to give people a better life and to be able to care about people and to be able to serve people as a public official. That alone, regardless of whatever party you subscribe to, should immediately disqualify this man from ever serving in public office again because he has proved time and time again that he is too incompetent to do this, that he is not the man for the job. He is not the person this country needs to help run it. And I'm not necessarily saying that a Democrat is the best option. I'm not necessarily saying that Texas needs to go out go out and vote blue. But you need to go out and vote for people who are at least going to do more than the bare minimum. Actually, no, Ted Cruz did not even do the bare minimum. He literally walked out on doing his job. He walked out on helping the people of his state. He did not even skim the surface of doing the bare minimum. So all in all, as I wrap up this section, I just wanted to say that Regardless of your party lines, regardless of whatever pride or ego gets in the way of you abandoning your party lines and voting outside of your party, just take a closer look at who's actually caring about you, who's actually putting in the time and the effort to care about the citizens of not just Texas, but every other state in this country. Put more effort, do more research, and figure out who you think would do the best job at making sure that the people in this country can live the best and highest quality of lives that they can. Next, we actually do have more time than I thought, so now I'll actually be able to get to my no-knock warrant segment. This segment is kind of just going to be me thinking out loud and hope it, hopefully implanting the same thoughts into your head and making you question really how we do policing in this country. When I say that we need to change how we do policing, I mean in every aspect, and that especially includes no-knock warrants. 
No-knock warrants were originally made under the Nixon administration. I know, complete shocker, because Nixon did so many great things during his presidency. That was sarcasm, if you didn't get that, by the way. But they were created under the Nixon administration in correlation to his war on drugs, his very infamous war on drugs. Obviously, with this in mind, they were racially targeted. They were disproportionately affecting black people because the war on drugs was disproportionately affecting black people. The hope at the time was that through carrying out surprise raids and through carrying out no-knock warrants, you would better be able to catch drug trafficking, drug smugglers, and drug dealers in the act and be able to further apprehend them. However, to no one's surprise, this just further ended in a racial disparity in terms of who was affected by our justice system. A lot of these raids were ended up being false or carried out the wrong house or carried out under the wrong pretenses at the time. A lot of these also ended in unnecessary death of not just people and civilians, but also officers, which is something that has carried over into today. Today, while Black people are still disproportionately affected by no-knock warrants, they are not the only group that is affected, and they are not the most prominent group that is affected, unlike they were in the 80s. Black people are affected, Latino people are affected, Native American people are affected, and yes, white people are in fact affected by no-knock warrants and are the victims of no-knock warrants. And not only are all of these different racial groups and all of these different types of civilians affected by no-knock warrants, negatively affected, might I add, by no-knock warrants, but police officers are also affected by no-knock warrants. There have been hundreds of law enforcement deaths, whether it is SWAT team members, FBI officials, or police officers, after carrying out no-knock warrants that have resulted in violence or shootouts or otherwise. And I apologize if I sound a little bit like a textbook right now. I'm trying to get like accurate information out there and not just my own biased opinions on the matter. But the death of Breonna Taylor and what happened at Breonna Taylor's house, I'm trying to drive the point home that that is not the only time that something like this happened. This, this stuff happens all the time. No-knock warrants are carried out too often. No, The fact that no-knock warrants are carried out at all is completely illogical and doesn't at all make sense in terms of what what values and what morals we hold near and dear to our hearts as Americans. But the fact that they're carried out as often as they are, while also often resulting in death, is a huge red flag in terms of how we do policing in our countries. And I don't understand how we can see the effects of these, how we can see the statistics on how many of them end in death, on how many of them end in wrongful apprehensions of how many of them are either carried out the wrong house, carried out on the wrong person, carried out in terms of the wrong crime, and we still are able, and I don't say we like we, I say we as in like our government, and our government is able to still stand behind them. I wholeheartedly believe that if we have any hope of correcting the way that we do policing in this country and evolving the way that we do policing in this country to make our police more personable, to make sure that our police are actually doing their jobs correctly and they're able to ensure further trust within our citizens, we need to do away with no-knock warrants. That needs to be one of the first things that we do away with and that we change and we alter because I just, I don't understand how we can hold something that obviously stemmed from bigotry, from racism, and we can still hold it near and dear to our hearts while also ignoring the fact that we as a country also hold our Second Amendment rights near and dear to our hearts. When someone breaks into your home in the middle of the night or any time of day for that matter, it elicits a very primal response within us. And I know you've heard about this, it elicits that very basic flight, fight, or freeze response when humans are faced with something potentially dangerous or something that elicits fear within us. 
in being in a country where, like I said, we hold our Second Amendment rights very near and dear to us, and we live in a country where people tell you that, hey, if someone breaks into your home, if someone enters your property, you have every right to blast their head off. Yet at the same time, we still think that no-knock warrants are an acceptable way to carry out policing in this country and trying to apprehend potential criminals. I don't understand that because it, in my eyes, that's just a recipe for disaster, as we've seen in not just Breonna Taylor's case, but in any other case of a botched raid, of a botched no-knock warrant. Too many of these instances result in death. Too many of these instances result in injury or further violence, all because we are more worried about preserving a very unjust and very criminal way of carrying out policing in this country. So overall, I, that might have been like a really weird segment, but I just wanted to kind of implant that little seed of thought into your guys' head while also just coming on here and just kind of trying to share my opinions about all of this and kind of just try and sift through my own thoughts and figure out how I personally am trying to think about this and trying to compartmentalize this. But unfortunately, as that segment comes to a close, as does the rest of this episode, definitely be sure to tune in next week, though I have something really special for you guys next week. I want to talk about teachers and why we need to respect our teachers, not just during the pandemic, but outside of the pandemic, why teachers need to be prioritized in terms of COVID precautions and vaccines and after the fact, why we need to make sure that teachers are prioritized before we take it upon ourselves to reopen schools. I want to do more episodes where I kind of just focus on one overarching social issue or one overarching topic and then just talk about that in its entirety. As much as I like being able to talk about several smaller different topics at once, I feel like I don't get as in-depth with the amount of content that I would want to, ideally. So I'm hoping to kind of get into, like I said, doing more overarching topics, doing more bigger and essentially more important topics as a centerpiece of each episode in terms of driving home specific points and driving home specific topics that I feel like are important to me and I feel like should be important to everyone else. So like I said, definitely be sure to tune in next week. And with that being said, you guys already know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you enjoyed this week's episode or any of the other episodes before now, please be sure to share this podcast with friends, with family, with people you go to school with, with people you work with, anyone who you think would enjoy it. It helps me out so much. Also, be sure to leave a rating and review. That also is something that helps so much. If you want more from me, if you want more of my attitude on social media, be sure to follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my ats and handles are just at Jalen Tully. Like I said before earlier in the episode, I will be leaving a bunch of links in the description in terms of things that will help not just Texans, but anyone who is not used to dealing with this type of winter weather. Anything that will help you guys out through this time, I will make sure to leave in the description below. And with all of that being said, I believe this episode is officially going to come to a close. So please just be sure to leave not just this episode, but every single episode ready to make this world a better place, ready to do your part in making sure that people in this world have the quality of life that they deserve. And you can do that by leaving this episode ready to educate often, learn freely, and always love equally. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and be sure to take care.